You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. It's not, I'm not going to be talking about a works-based faith here in a minute when we dive into God's Word. I don't want you to mishear what I'm saying. But I am going to be talking about a faith that results in us having works because people are consumed with what you do. Last week I made this statement, and we're going to go a little bit further. People don't really care what you say. I joked around about that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. You can go to the podcast. Now, you think people care about what you say, and that's okay. That makes you American. Part of living in America is we think that everybody's consumed with what we say. But the reality is, is, is nobody really cares what you say. Prove that. Be a parent for more than a day. It's like, are you listening? Are you hearing me? But people aren't really consumed with what you say. But they are totally enthralled with what you do. They may not listen to the things you're saying, but they will be enthralled by what you do. And we talked last week about two simple words, Jesus wept, and and what he was signifying there as far as the, the empathy that he was having and how he was tasting salt with them. But there's another part of that. There's another part of that, and that's what I want to dive into today. And it's this whole concept that, you know what, Paul also deals with the same sort of situation. Paul dealt with the situation. He was actually the region of Galatia. You had these churches. And kind of, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backdrop because it's going to make where we read God's Word a little bit more sense to you. I'm going to give you the whole synopsis of Galatians for the first five chapters before we dive into chapter 6, if you don't mind. Make it very, very simple. You, you have in Acts chapter 15 a concept that's starting to take place in the modern church. See, the, the Judeo-Christian movement started out as a very Jewish Christian custom. In other words, the Jews that lived in Israel were converting because of Jesus Christ and the way that he came, the way that he died, and the way that he rose again. And so Christianity, in the beginning, people don't realize this, was a very Jewish thing. And there was a battle that was raging with these new converts between the old law and Jesus being the new law. Well, after Jesus came on the scene and died and on the third day rose and his people were converting, there became this debate. And at the beginning of Acts, everybody wants to quote that like, oh, there's the model for the the early church. And it was. It's a great model for the early church. It's not a real good model for today's church. Because in Acts chapter 15, everything shifts because the gospel is going from from a people group that was mainly Jews who were converted that in Acts chapter 15, now there's more non-Jews that are Christian than Jews. And so this argument is breaking out. How do you love Jesus and not adhere to Jewish customs? This is going on in this region called Galatia. And so Paul writes a letter to the Galatians, and for the first five chapters, all he's doing is trying to explain to them the fact that what Jesus was and is and always will be, compared to what the law is and was, can mesh up. That's the reason why he has so many of those subjects in the first two chapters where he's trying to identify that because I have been crucified with Christ, no longer I live, but he lives in me. 
And he's talking about, you know, this idea of circumcision and what you should eat and what you should not eat, all these Jewish customs. And there's this argument that's betrayed. But here's what's amazing. Even Paul understood that most people aren't going to listen to what you say. And so in chapter 6, he flips a switch. Will you join me? Chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows unto the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, this is a principle that I actually have hit on probably two or three times in the last six weeks. It's something that God's really been dealing with me about. And it's this universal principle called the law of the harvest. And you say, Mickey, oh gosh, here we go again with the law of the harvest. Listen to me. I will keep repeating it because I had a guy tell me a long time ago, the price of scholarship is repetition. If you want to be educated, you know what you're going to learn to repeat. So you need to make sure you understand this. The law of the harvest is very simple. If you want oranges, you must plant a orange tree. You cannot plant an orange tree and go, geez, where's my apples? The same thing is true, whatever it is. You can't turn around and, and on the farm, be raising animals and say, you know what, we've got all these pigs over here, and I'm just so disappointed because I've not gotten any cattle. Pigs produce pigs, and plants produce plants, and they are like in what they produce. It's called the law of the harvest. He takes it to a spiritual concept in chapter 5 where he's talking about these works of the flesh. And it's basically to sum it up, and I made this statement a few weeks back, you cannot sow works of your flesh and expect fruits of the Spirit. It's the law of the harvest. But that's not what I really want you to dwell on. What I want you to dwell on is what he's setting up. A very, 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 very simple concept. Because I think most of us, I say most, not all, most of us are struggling in our life because we don't understand why godly things are not coming up in our life like we want but we're not willing to plant godly things in our life. Like, I want to be real careful here. I, I don't want to come across as legalistic, but I need to make sure that you grasp this whole concept of what the gospel truly is. The gospel is not, I got saved, I can do whatever I want and expect God to do whatever he needs. Like, some people, including myself, will approach God like he's a celestial genie in a bottle rubbing on a lamp and wondering why I'm not getting all these things in my life. And God's up there saying, listen, a part of me being a just God is I honor the law of the harvest. In other words, what you sow is what you're going to reap from. If you want a bigger in-depth study of that, go listen to the wisest man that ever lived in the book of Ecclesiastes. He talks about how there's a season and a time for everything. And this is the richest man that ever lived who had more than anybody. In fact, he's the man that ends up designing the temple. In fact, if you study the Old Testament in the temple, there's actually a Solomon's porch that's a part of that design. And when he had conquered and got everything, he said it's all but vanity or the whirlwind. Because he realized, you know what? There are some things worth planting and gathering. And there's some that's not. Can you listen to me very, very carefully? 
I want to take us on a journey today to ask a very difficult question. What are we really pursuing in our life? I want to ask you a very simple, real question. This is a personal question. I don't want you to look at your spouse. I don't want you to look at your kids. I want you to take a moment and literally look in the mirror. And I want you to ask yourself one question. What am I sowing in my life? If you have a hard time trying to answer that, i got, a, got an easier way to ask it. What are you reaping right now? Like if you can't figure out what you're sowing, there's an opposite side of that. Okay, well, let's just look at the fruit that's showing up. And I want to give you one simple scripture. This scripture came from a conversation with my son. He said, Dad, this is a, this is a great verse. Like this is my favorite verse. And I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. When a 17-year-old says this is his favorite, I'm like, I'm intrigued. And it sent me on a journey for several days, cross-referencing and moving because there was so much to it. And it's such a, but I think, you know what? It literally, it, it's a biblical principle that I believe is a launching pad to majority of the things that you desire in your heart. Are you ready for it? One simple scripture. Verse 8. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Because in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That first part, it says, do not grow weary. Some translations, depending on what you're looking at, may say, don't lose heart. See, Paul is starting to change this argument that he's writing to them about all these different concepts and laws and circumcision and uncircumcised and you can eat of this or you can't eat of that. And he's trying to kind of pronounce these these Jews are coming in from Jerusalem because there's so much Christianity that's spreading through the world, and they're starting to come in. Like, if you do a little bit of a study of the Old Testament, Jews have always wanted to control the religious game. That's why there were Pharisees and scribes. It goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to the clans. It goes back to the Levites, the one clan where all the priests came through. It's where you get the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And all these different scriptures that have the, the sacrifices and the festivals and how you're supposed to do it. And Jesus came in and he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but so that it may be fulfilled. But one of the issues is the Jews have always wanted to control the religious side. Now, use the word religious carefully to, to change the game. And Paul is at a point where he's done arguing about it. And you know what he's saying? I tell you what. Let's just prove it. Let's just prove it. You show me your faith, I'll show you my works. You know what he's saying? Hey, you want to talk about it? You talk about it. You know what I, I'm going to do it. Like you can talk about what it's supposed to be all you want, but you go see somebody doing it, and I guarantee you, you'll follow them nine out of ten times. Can I give you a real simple illustration? How many of you going to listen if I get up here and talk about how you can lose weight? It's okay, you can laugh at the pastor. I get tickled with that. 
I literally had a guy say, hey, come over here, tour this gym. Let me tell you what all we can do. And I walk in, and the guy was bigger than me. And I'm not being rude, but I'm like, you know what, I, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how to take this, but like, like, I'm not taking health advice from somebody that's bigger than I am. Now, if I showed up, and the guy was in shape, and he kind of looked like he was physically active, you know what, I'm like, okay, I can listen to this guy. I'm not trying to be rude, but I can look and I can see by what they are a little bit about what they've been doing. But yet we expect everybody in this world to listen to us about our faith. But yet we don't live like we got one. Just want you to let that sink in. Like, it's funny when we're joking about the pastor being a foodie. Or we're talking about ordering at a restaurant. But boy, it just got personal, didn't it? Like, we expect people in our family to listen to us when it comes to our faith, but yet we don't live like we have one. Like, we expect our children to submit to authority, but yet we're not willing to submit to the ultimate authority. We'll use the, well, because I'm your parent. What about because he's your God? You know, my children had no choice in who their parent was. They couldn't say, well, you know, I don't really like that one. Yeah, he's a little too strict. He's just really not fair. I don't really think he knows what's best for me. I don't know if he really understands my situation. You know, Dad, it's been a long time since you was a teenager. You know, things have changed. You know, we have these things called phones that we take everywhere. Yours was on a cord. But we do the same thing with God, don't we? Why don't we like that God? I mean, yeah, Yahweh, God, creator of the world, the one true God. I don't like that God. I don't know if he's got what's best in mind for me. You know, he's too strict. He has this thing called his word. He, he wants me to dwell on that. He wants me to actually be obedient to that. Are you kidding me, man? I'm not, I mean, i got to be able to live. Like, he's just a fuddy-duddy. He's always, don't, 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 don't. Like, I, like I, I need to get a different God. Your desire to get a different parent, your desire to get a different God is just as ignorant. Because guess what? They ain't but one. You know, that's what he's talking about here. He says, you know what? You want to have an argument about law? You want to have an argument about beliefs? You want to have an argument about theology? You want to have an argument about faith? You want to have an argument about all these different things? He says, you know what? I'm done arguing. Here's what we'll do. Proof's in the pudding. Let's just compare each other's life. And because of that, you know what he encourages the Galatians to do? He says, don't grow weary in doing good. Now, this is almost going to sound childish, but Jace, a quick rabbit. Do you know why he said don't grow weary in doing good? The same reason why the hairdryer says don't put in the tub. Somebody's done it. See, if you've grown weary doing good, take a deep breath. Congratulations, you're human. In fact, it's such a common thing 
that God inspired Paul to write it in his word so that you would know that growing weary and doing good is a part of life. And that's the reason why he's saying, you know what, but don't. Don't. Because he gives you a promise. I want you, if you have a paper Bible, to underline these words. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. For in good season we will reap if we do not give up. Here's the little biblical principle about doing. No matter where you're at in life, if you will sow good into your life, I promise you will reap greatness. If you will sow godly principles into your life, I promise it will work out better than you deserve or you even expected it. That's the reason why you always look around the room and you go, wow, how, I mean, how did he end up with her? How did they end up together? How did they, how did I end up at age 45 in this place? I have no earthly idea. You say, well, that's not very, you know, like, I, I want to know. I, here's what I will tell you. At age 16, when I prayed to receive Christ, something hit me like a ton of bricks, and unintentionally, I made them a, a commitment that I was going to wake up every day, and I was going to try to do good. Was I perfect? Most of the time. I mean, my wife, one time maybe I was, no, I wasn't perfect. Did I make mistakes? Oh, buddy, you better believe it. Did I have failures? Oh, yes, I did. Did I wake up and everything was butterflies and rainbows and there was no more trials and there's no more tribulations? Nothing close to it. Did I wake up and all of a sudden just the doors just opened up and everybody's like, hey, this is great. You're 17 years old and you've accepted Christ. Well, here, here's a free education. Here's a free house. Here's a free car. No. I got student debts just like everybody else got student debts when they went to school. And I battled and I worked. But at no point did I ever lose sight in the fact that God will reward what you plant. See, here's the tough part. I have people that come and will ask me some tough questions about why certain things are in their life. And they'll ask them based on like, you know, is this God punishing me? Is God trying to, to get my attention? Or is, is God trying to like teach me a lesson? And I've not in the past had enough guts to tell them the truth, but I'm learning how to do that better now. Because the reality is, is you've got stuff in your life. You know why? Because you put it there. See, you're going to find out that as you move forward, there are some things that you can do that are bigger than you. And one of them is a biblical principle of doing good things. It changes everything. But most people do grow weary. And I want to kind of quickly tell you, it, it, it's, it's crazy to think about it, but I wrote it down to make sure I didn't botch it. And I simply said this, most people grow weary because our weariness or losing heart 
is linked to our motivation of, for doing good. And we're more consumed with doing good based on what we are going to get out of it rather than the person that's in need. Like a lot of times we grow weary in doing good because we're doing good, not because it's a good thing to do. We're doing good because we feel like there's something we're going to get out of it. I would love to go do blank because, you know, like maybe this person's going to do blank. I'll, I'll give you the easiest concept. Now, you got to listen to this. If you don't listen to this right, you're going to mishear me. We don't love people because we want them to know Jesus. We love people because they're worthy to be loved. See, when, when you love people based on wanting them to have a conversion experience, you've now put conditions on the love. And so when they do have a conversion experience, you know what happens? You leave them on the footsteps of conversion. That's the reason why so many churches are full of people that are sitting there going, I have no idea. I just know that, like, somebody came. They were preaching about hell. They said, do you want to go to hell? I said, no. I raised my hand, and then I've, I've been here for 30 years. Like, our relationship with people is the same relationship. You say, well, Mickey, give me a biblical example. Okay, here's a good one. How about Jesus? He entered the world, and he said, for whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He came and he said, for I came into the world so that all may have eternal life. Now, do all people have eternal life? Actually, they do. But do all people go to heaven? No, he died for all so that they'd have an ability because he loved them understanding that some of them would never receive him. See, that's one of the issues I have with, with some people's doctrine when they kind of twist this, when they say the game's kind of rigged, like it's all predetermined, because that, that means that God is not loving everybody. God's loving everybody and gives everybody the opportunity to receive him, but only a few do. So that's where we're at. See, I, I want us to be motivated not to do good because of something that we're going to receive from it. We're going to do good. You know why? Because it's a good thing to do. In fact, he went one more step forward. Last scripture, listen to this. So then, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Not to some, one. Not to a few, so have, as you have an opportunity, do good to everyone. And then listen to these words. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know what he's saying? Man, it's so amazing. Even in God's inspiration through Paul to write to this church, you know what he already realized? That thousands of years later, the church will eat itself if you're not careful. Don't get so consumed with trying to do good because you're wanting some sort of a response from somebody. Do good because that's what God's called us to do. I had a coach that used to say it this way. He'd say, Mickey, always practice the right way. I was like, why? Because it's the only one way to practice. Like, if you're not going to practice the right way, then, then why practice? Always practice the right way. Why? Because that's the only way to practice. I think that's what he's talking about here. 
He's going back and he's saying, listen, there's a lot of people in your ear saying a lot of different things about the way this world should be. And you got these religious Jews that have been converted, but they're a little bit off kilter. They're coming in from the church of Jerusalem. That was being led by James, the brother of Jesus. James wasn't doing this, but some of his leaders were coming in, and they're wanting to to kind of tell the other people that are having these conversions how they should live. I'll I'll give you a great picture so you can see how this works. If you've ever been on a mission trip to another country, I get so tickled and enthralled of how we try to go over to XYZ country and teach them how to be the westernized church. Like they're living in grass huts and we want to build them a brick building church. Well, you're going you're to need to build this brick building and, you know, you, there's a little baptistry in the back and you're going to have a stained glass window and you need electricity and, and you need somebody on the piano and you're going to sing these hymns and they're going, what? 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 I mean, I know, I know you guys are struggling. You don't have water. You don't really have food. I mean, I know it'd be like, crazy to think about maybe putting in a well but no we got you a brick church see I believe this is where you gotta be careful I believe so take it as a grain of salt what Paul's trying to convey here is that normally when you're doing good you'll know when you're doing it because you're not the benefactor. And when you get a group of people that stop saying who Jesus is and they start doing what Jesus did, you'll gain the sight of people. See, I, I want you to understand something. God is, <laughs> whew, he's these last 21 days, he's wrecked me, man. He took me on a journey of like, man, this is what crossroads, man, this is where we're going, this is where we need to go, man, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And he's like, what do you, here's what you need to do. You need to do good. How long are you going to be at this school? Who cares if we're doing good? If we're encountering people and loving people well, does it matter? Heaven forbid we ever get to a point where God's opened up the floodgates and we know exactly where we're going just to plant ourselves and take a ginormous step backwards and lose the vision, which is to what? To be life-giving in our community. To help people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and go make a difference. Heaven forbid we westernize this whole vision and just do what we think church has always done. I know this is a different message. But I want to give you one simple challenge today. When's the last time you just woke up and did good? When's the last time you saw a need and you just said, you know what, I, I, I can't do a lot, but I can do something. 
When's the last time you weren't so consumed with your own life and you were consumed that you actually noticed needs around you? I'm going to tell you what happens when people do that. God starts changing their heart. And it's like the eyes of their heart becomes enlightened. And they start seeing things the way God sees them. And he starts acknowledging people the way God acknowledges them. And they start changing their desires to godly desires. And in that moment, that's where the scripture come in, where God says, and I will give you the desires of your heart. Like if I start talking about the desires of your heart, if most of them are starting with you or me or I, you ain't captured it yet. I'm not saying you don't have a relationship with Jesus. But what I am saying is, you got to learn to do good. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.